Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Samuel, chapters 1 and 2, and I'm going to read a portion of chapter 2 for us. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no one like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundation of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven, and the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good afternoon and welcome to this uh, year's Ash Wednesday service here at Eastminster. My name is Jordan Greer, and I'm the pastoral intern, and it's my delight to be bringing you the word this morning, and I want to welcome you. Whether this is your first time visiting or you've been a lifelong member, welcome, Um, and I'm excited to be worshiping with you this midweek service, which ushers us into the Lenten season. Ash Wednesday marks the start of the season of Lent, and so this is the period of time that leads us up to Easter, and Lent is a period of 40 days uh, where followers of Jesus focus on repentance and fasting, reflection, and ultimately celebration. The 40-day period represents Christ's time of temptation in the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan, and Lent asks believers uh, to set aside a time each year Uh, for similar fasting, marking an intentional season of focus on Christ's life, ministry, sacrifice, and resurrection. And so this season of waiting prepares our hearts for the joy of the resurrection as as we remember how we were dead in our sins and trespasses before Christ. And so Easter is the reminder that Jesus's death and resurrection offers us forgiveness, redemption, new life, But Lent is the season that reminds us on the way to Easter why we need these things. And so it's a time for us to focus on um, the things we don't often focus on, like death and mortality, um, lament. And so um, as we prepare in this season to receive God's redemption in Jesus Christ, um, I want to take us through one woman's journey which is representative of our journey with God during this season. So there was a young woman named Hannah, 
and she was married to a man named Elkanah, and so we're going to call him Elk for short. And Elk, he loved his bride, Hannah, uh, but in this culture, it was acceptable to have more than one wife, and so Elk had another wife, and her name was Peninnah, and we're going to call her Penny for short. And so Penny, she kept having children, she kept having sons and daughters, um, but Hannah had none. And so, obviously, children were a sign of honor, and Elk was kind to Penny and her sons and daughters, but he especially favored Hannah because he deeply loved her. And so, despite her not being able to have kids, he still loved and cherished her. And so every year, this family would go up to Shiloh, to the temple, and they would offer sacrifices to the Lord. And so during this time, Elk would give Penny and her children supplies for the worship service. And this distribution of supplies led Penny to make fun of Hannah for not having any kids and not getting to receive any supplies of her own. As if this experience for Hannah wasn't already painful enough. And so Penny would try to get Hannah grieving just to irritate her. And this went on year after year. And the Bible notes that Penny provokes Hannah at the same time every year. I find it interesting that this same time every year is when they're on their way to the temple, when they're on their way to worship God. Um, Perhaps the assumption on the way to worship um, in Penny's mind was that Hannah couldn't have children because maybe God was punishing her. There could be a number of things why it was at this time. Um, But I think it's interesting that this is such a way for us to be distracted, right? For somebody to distract us from worshiping God, to point us to what we don't have, to try to help us focus on things that we don't have. And so each year, Penny would prod Hannah, and she would be filled with grief, to the point of weeping, the text says, and she would even lose her appetite. And I'm sure many of us have faced grief like this at some point in our lives. Um, And so Hannah is brought to despair. And it wasn't a one-time event for her, but this was her ongoing reality. Yes, it was a deeper reminder at the temple each year, but it was an ongoing reality throughout every year. Because she desperately wanted a child, She longed for a child, but she was unable to conceive. And I'm sure some people in this room know the pain that Hannah faced. And so she, Hannah, was desperate, and she was brought to a low place. And she wasn't only grieving because she couldn't have a child, but she was also being mocked and made fun of and despised from her own family, her peers, And finally, in 1 Samuel 1, we hear the cry of Hannah's heart as she goes into the temple to pray to the Lord. And she tries to find refuge and deliverance from her sad state, and she takes it to the one who can deliver her. And perhaps Hannah went year after year to pray to the Lord in the temple during that time. We don't know, but what we do know is this year in particular, Hannah took her concerns her grief, and her desires to the Lord. And she prayed for a son and promised him to the Lord as a return for the gift. And so while Hannah's praying to the Lord in the temple, the priest, whose name is Eli, he sees her 
and he actually mistakes her for being drunk because Hannah's praying silently in her heart, but her lips are moving, and she has tears streaming down her face. And so he mistakes her for being drunk, but Hannah explains her situation to him. She explains that she's praying for a son, and Eli says to her, May the God of Israel grant the request you've made of him. And the Bible says that the Lord heard Hannah. Eli was in the same room as Hannah, and he was close enough to her to see that she looked distraught. But Eli could not hear, even at that close range, what Hannah was saying. But the Lord heard Hannah. And the text says that she went away from the temple, and she was able to eat, and she no longer looked sad. When Hannah was at her worst, she turned to the Lord, and she went on her way, and her circumstances hadn't changed, but her disposition had. And so spending time in prayer may not change our circumstances, but it can change us as we leave and go into the world. And so as she left, the Lord remembered Hannah. I love those words. And she returned home, and in due time, the Lord granted her the ability to conceive a child. And she named him Samuel. And as Hannah had promised the Lord, she gifted Samuel to the Lord and to the Lord's temple service. And so after she had weaned Samuel, she took him to Eli at the temple. And she once again was without a son in a particular sense. And after giving up her son to the Lord's service, she prays the famous prayer of Hannah. And this prayer is a response to the deep joy that she felt in having her honor restored to her with the gift of this son. The Lord rescued and redeemed Hannah and has given her honor. Because when you're barren in this culture, it is a sign of shame and dishonor. And the Lord restored that fully to her. And so now she sings God's praises in the verses that I read for us. But I think an important detail that we often neglect in this uh, prayer of praise is that this worship comes after giving up her son again. She prays to the Lord in the beginning as a woman without a child, and now she prays as a woman who has given up a child And her faithful heart cries out in praise for all God has done, regardless that she's not going to see this child continue to grow up in her own household or have that close mother-son relationship with him. Uh, She's lost a tiny part of the experience of raising a child. However, her faithfulness and her prayerfulness far exceed her circumstances. She prays to the Lord before she's gifted the son and after She gives him to the Lord's service. Hannah trusts in her God as her refuge and her redeemer. And the beautiful part of this story is that she begins as a woman who's weeping. But the Lord comes and he lifts her out of the dust. And in less than two chapters, we see God transform this woman from sorrowful prayer to joyful praise. And that is the power of our God. He takes our brokenness and he makes beautiful things out of us. And the Lord is the one who gives honor and restores and he lifts our chin 
and he helps us walk with respect and dignity again. He rescued her from this place of mockery and scorn. And Hannah describes this transformation as being lifted from the dust and being seated on high with princes and royalty. Hannah's lack of a son brought her sorrow. But in the end, God's presence is Hannah's joy. And God has done a wonderful and mighty act on her behalf in giving her a son. Yet the real source of that joy is God himself. And so in chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, Hannah, after praising the Lord for the life of her son, she gives us a glimpse into the gospel and a beautiful picture of God's sovereignty, even in our worst circumstances. She says, The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. After her struggle with conceiving a child, she recognizes the gift that life is. And she recognizes the sovereignty of God over life. In verse 6, we see that Hannah recognizes God's decision over death and life and everything in between. The Hebrew language, uh, it uses bookends in language to describe uh, everything from beginning to end, including everything in the middle. So you hear the phrases um, in our world like alpha and omega, first and the last, death or life and death. And so here in verse 6, we see that God is the one who establishes our details of our life in between life and death, not just the big things, but the small details along the way. And so Hannah's life has not been a mystery to him. Her life has not been hidden from God, for he is El Roy, the God who sees. Her prayers have not been silent before him. He is the one who is determining our steps. And he's the one working in the details of our lives this very minute, on this day. And he's orchestrating our lives to bring him honor and glory and to fulfill his purposes among us, even today, right now, this hour. And so as Hannah continues through this prayer of praise, this bookend language continues. And one of the first prophetic words of the gospel is uttered from the mouth of this woman when she says, he sends some down to Sheol and he raises others up. In Jesus Christ, we will be raised up from death to life, both in this life and in the life to come. And so in verse 7, Hannah continues, and she proclaims the Lord's sovereignty and reign over all of life. During this life, he is in charge of poverty and wealth and everything in between, wherever you find yourself on that spectrum. He's also working to humble some people and exalt others. And I think we often think we can merit this. Uh, We think if we're good enough or we work hard enough, the Lord will reward us with money and honor. But what did Hannah have? She had her lowly state and her humble heart which drove her into the Lord's presence, begging him for mercy and deliverance. 
And God's gifts of wealth and honor, humility, and poverty are just that. They are gifts designed for his good purpose in our lives. And we may not understand the circumstances we're in, but we can know that God is with us and he has not forgotten us. And if we're in a place of prosperity and wealth, then we need to be reminded that this is a gift from the Lord. And just as we have gained money, it can also be taken away to humble us. And so our response is to be humble and to be generous with the good gifts God has given us. But you may not be in that place. You may be in a place of poverty. You may be struggling to make ends meet or to pay rent this month or put food on the table for your family. Um, Maybe for you it's not financial, but it's emotional. Maybe you're in a place of emotional poverty. And you can't seem to find solid ground to stand on. Maybe you're grieving, you're weeping, you're worried and anxious. But even in these circumstances, we remember that he can exalt us and bring us honor and respect and wealth, even in spirit. And so we come to the feet of Jesus pleading to him who can raise our chin and restore our honor. And then in verse 8, Hannah once again praises God for his sovereignty over all of life's circumstances, and most importantly, his plan for redemption for his people. Hannah says that God raises the poor from the dust and the needy from the ash heap. Throughout scripture, dust and ashes represent um, a state of lowliness, a state of grieving, lament, um, of repentance and shame, and it And it represents a longing for something different, something to change. And so Hannah, having been without a child for so long, she lived in this state of dust and ashes. She was full of shame, and she finds herself in this prayer listed among the poor and needy. And perhaps today you find yourself in the middle of this prayer. Maybe you're facing a severe illness and you're unsure what the future looks like. Maybe you have a child facing addiction or your marriage is falling apart or you've been let go from your job. You've entered retirement and you feel purposeless. You've lost someone close to you or you're facing depression and anxiety or you're feeling discouraged and overwhelmed. And maybe for you it's something different. Whatever it is that you're going through right now, I want you to identify it. We're going to take a moment in silence to identify if there's an area, whether it's financial, spiritual, physical, emotional, where you find yourself among the poor and needy. In this season of Lent, I encourage you to take that area of poverty, if you've identified one, to the feet of Jesus. For Hannah, her place of poverty was her barrenness. 
Her shame was her childlessness. But in the middle of her shame, she took it to the Lord and pleaded for redemption. And the Lord restored her from her place of shame. And she praises the Lord for it, the end of verse 8, by saying, He seats them, that is the poor and needy, with princes, and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundation of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the world on them. And then in the New Testament scripture, we also see, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God takes the poor and he seats them with royalty. Our God is a redeemer God. He takes us from the dust and ashes and he restores us to the place of reigning with crowns and being seated with honor. And the way we get there is through Jesus Christ, our redeemer. Whether you're in the same place as Hannah, struggling with barrenness, or you're facing your own crisis, the same God who was with Hannah is with us today. He's with us in our struggle, and he is preparing to lift us from the ashes. And restoration in Jesus begins now. Libby read for us the story of the woman who was bleeding for 12 years, and God took the helpless state of this woman who was ostracized from her community, put to shame in every realm of life, who was suffering physically, emotionally, socially, spiritually, and she'd been kicked out of the family, kicked out of the temple, and out of the town. But God comes along, and he physically lifts her out of the dust, removes her shame, restores her spiritually, and establishes her once again in society. Our God does not redeem just on one plane. He redeems every area of our life, both now and in the life to come. And today, you are not beyond God's touch. The hem of his robe is not beyond your reach today. Jesus felt his power go out from him, and that same power is able to affect whatever situation you're going through today. This week, this month, or this year. God is powerful, and he wants to work in your mess. He wants to lift your chin from the dust and help you stand up. And it starts now, in this life. It starts today. He heals today. I think oftentimes our suffering or our sadness or whatever we're going through that's overwhelming can blind us from the work that God does in our lives and it can um, deafen us from the truth and distract us from the power of knowing that God is working. But I think that, like Hannah, our suffering or our, our grief can also drive us to the feet of Jesus. It can also help us remember the ways God has worked in the past. We are called to remember God's faithfulness. And maybe this morning, or I guess it's the afternoon now, uh, maybe you have been in a place in dust and ashes and you're not anymore. And God has redeemed you and you are on the other side of that place. 
our response is one of gratitude and remembrance. The bleeding woman was healed. Hannah was given a child. God redeems in this life now. And if you are on the other side of that, praise God. Let this be a time of remembrance and gratitude. If you're not on that side of your dust and ashes experience, we need to know where to turn. And we go to Jesus, our great Redeemer. And like Hannah shows us, we go to him who gives deliverance. He lifts us out of the ashes and gives us a crown. And Hannah's lament represents this season of Lent for us. But the gift of her child is also the reminder of the gift of the resurrection, where God is transforming us from death to life, from ashes to glory. He's lifting us out of the dust and transforming us into something beautifully redeemed. So as we enter this season of Lent, spend time lamenting to the Lord like Hannah did. And remember that when we are brought low, the Lord is our Redeemer. He takes us from the dust and ashes, and he gives us a crown and a throne. We came from dust, but to life we are redeemed. In a moment, we're going to come forward for the ashes, and we ask that you would come down the middle aisle for that. You'll be dismissed by Rose, um, and as you come forward, I want you to bring the thing that represents your dust and ashes experience. Whether it's happening right now, or it's something that you have been delivered from, and it's an event in the past now that God has redeemed. Come forward with that in the forefront of your mind. Um, the dust is going to symbolize our mortality, our pain, our suffering. But as we make the sign of the cross on your forehead, we're going to remember that even in dust, God is redeeming us lifting our chin and working to make us beautifully new. It's at the cross we are made new and redeemed. Um, and so after uh, you receive the ashes, um, you are encouraged if you need intercessory prayer for healing or for something, we're going to have stations in these two corners that you are um, encouraged to go to and receive prayer. Um, and then once you're finished, with ashes or with prayer, we'll ask that you go on the outsides of the rows back to your seat. Um, <clears throat> and um, if you choose to receive prayer this morning, I pray that God would grant you your request this morning. I mean, this afternoon. So would you please join me now in confession as we prepare to receive the ashes? Would you stand with me? God of healing, God of wholeness, we bring our brokenness, our sinfulness, our fears and despair and lay them at your feet. God of healing, God of wholeness, we hold out hearts and hands, minds and souls to feel your touch and know the peace that only you can bring. 
God of healing, God of wholeness, this precious moment in your presence and power. Grant us faith and confidence that here broken lives are made whole. I would now ask that the intercessory team come forward first to receive ashes. Um, and then after that, you are invited to come forward. Um, those who do not wish to receive ashes may remain seated in a prayerful or meditative state. 